Soil and Roots podcast, where we cultivate deep discipleship. I'm Kyle Moody. And I'm Brian Fisher, and this is episode 73. We are greenhousing episode 72, which was called A Hobbit Shoots Free Throws. <laughs> that, um, that picture was perfect for what I had that in my head the whole time I was listening and reading. Yeah. It was, that was amazing. You know, it's funny because the internet wizards will tell you that when you title a podcast or uh, an article, a blog, mm-hmm. which we do all the time here, mm-hmm. you're supposed to use words that are relevant <laughs> to what you're talking about. Yeah. So, you know, and I don't do that. I I, I find that boring. So, yeah. I mean, I could have titled it A Brief Review of Soil and Roots Podcast uh, on Deep Discipleship. No. But that's what you're supposed to do. So, because when people search for things, usually the internet browsers look for titles. So... <laughs> A Hobbit shoots free throws is I probably not going to get a whole lot of organic traffic. Well, I think it's fantastic. I loved it. <laughs> Sometimes I really strain to figure out what to call these Right, things. yeah. Well, but see, that's good. You're thinking outside the box. I love that. It's more creative. I re- You know, you asked me before we came on air why my the coach didn't help me out with... Yeah. So if, if you didn't listen to 72, I told a story about shooting free throws for scholarship money yeah. uh, when I was a senior in high school and I was short and you know basketball has never been my sport either to watch or to play and I had to sit there and make these seven out of ten free throws which is ridiculously high yeah, and I had taken the test I you know I don't know, probably a dozen two dozen times and then finally the last time I took it my coach said here you need to make this change and you said hey why didn't he tell you that before I don't I don't know I don't I don't he was sort of like your quintessential high school older male gym coach, like gruff and. You <laughs> I know. know, but even then, I would have thought that if he saw just to get you out of there, to be like, stop coming in here and taking this dadgum test here. At least yeah, your he elbow. Was, and, he was annoyed with me. Well, I, I'm wondering why it took him so long to just give you what seemed to be a very I, my guess simple is pointer because he didn't want to show favoritism. But when everybody else left. <laughs> He was willing to give me a few pointers. I bet you that's what it was. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Coach Fuller. Coach Fuller. Oh, yeah. I have a very vivid image of him in my... Like, I I remember what he looks like. I remember how he talks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember coaches like that. Oh, yeah. I still got him blazoned in my head. Our stories are really pretty important. Mm -hmm. Uh, 72, what I was attempting to do was kind of bring us all up to speed. So, if you've been listening to Soil and Roots for any length of time, about every 10 to 15 episodes... I try to stop and pause and review what we've covered. So you remember from season three, we talked about repetitious and increasingly complex instruction. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to model that by by zooming out to 30,000 feet and reminding us why we're all here. Yeah. So this journey, this guided journey into deep discipleship has now been structured into four seasons so far. And... By reviewing each one of those little blocks last episode, I'm attempting just to sort of give us a reset and get us prepped now because we're about to go even deeper into the uh, the Forgotten Kingdom. So if you have been with us listening since the beginning, mm. uh, just be aware that I've actually gone back and rewritten and re-recorded most of season one and two. And the reason is because much of what has sort of gelled in seasons three and four 
um, informed seasons one and two. So mm-hmm. just be aware that if you, if you have been listening since, I guess, the beginning of 2022, um, yeah. since it first started, uh, if you ever wanted to go back and sort of do a refresh of season one and season two, they have been edited and updated. I occasionally go back and try to improve on some stuff that we did. And, you know, I, I made some mistakes that I've tried to correct uh, over time. So that's just a bit of housekeeping. So at this point, beautifully, uh, this guided journey into deep discipleship has taken uh, a fairly decent structure by God's grace. Mm-hmm. So season one, which was episodes one to 13, is setting up the problem and the solution. The problem is what Dallas Willard called the great omission, that we are not actually making disciples. And the solution is what we call here, and it's a made-up phrase, deep discipleship, which is the journey of becoming more like Jesus, the character formation that we should be embarking on once we come into the kingdom. And uh, admittedly, that season takes a bit of an odd turn in season in episode one because we talk about the fact that, well, how do I become a deep disciple? Oh, that's the transformation of hidden ideas in your heart. Right. And at that point, we're sort of off script, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you've grown up in the church or you know you listen to your favorite pastors and sermons, that phrase, the transformation of hidden ideas in our hearts, probably doesn't register with anything that we've heard before. No. The thing that I keep thinking about when we talk about, you know, these hidden ideas and, you know, the ideas in the air and ideas in the soil, it, it requires an awful lot of introspection. Mm-hmm. And we have to be willing to dive into things that are possibly hurtful, that are scary, that are unknown, uh, in order to understand how we've formed our view of Jesus, how we few, how we formed our view of discipleship, the church and things like that. And it can get scary. And we, I think the key is to have, and you've hit this a number of times in the first season to have a trusted community with you, whether it's a spouse or a close friend or a group of people that are in a greenhouse, you have to have that in order to bounce these ideas off of and see like, I mean, for a lot of it, I didn't even know that my, the ideas that I had formulated and the ideas that I had accepted as truth were not that at all. It was a distortion of what my wounds and what my story had mangled into what what I was believing as truth. Mm -hmm. And it was so difficult to navigate through that before. But then when I started uncovering that, it was so freeing. And yet at the same time, there was that that idea and that thought of, oh my gosh, all this damage that I've done, all this time that I've wasted. But at the se- but then right then, the Holy Spirit comes in and is like, no, 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 you're aware of it now. So let's journey through this together and let's, you can share what you've learned and share the, the wounds and the heartaches that you've had with people that aren't even aware of it yet or that can resonate with you that not, might not have even known about it and or wouldn't be able to identify had you not gone through sure. something like that. Yeah. So it's just that that was the thing that was season one that was something that was really, really huge and formative for me. There's what's odd about season one, and let's just call it what it is, is that the, the claim is that there is a layer to the human heart underneath our belief statements mm-hmm. and un- un- underneath the sort of surface way we normally go about life. So we talked about worldview, right? Mm-hmm. Worldview is a popular term. It's a set of beliefs by which we orient ourselves in the world. And what we're proposing is there's actually a layer underneath worldview. There's actually a layer that is largely hidden and mysterious. And 
sometimes hard to discover, mm-hmm. and yet that seems to be where Jesus lived. Mm-hmm. Mm. When when you go back and read the Gospels with this sort of idea that perhaps there is a the the real me, the real you, is hidden under layers of stuff. Mm-hmm. That seems to be where Jesus was most interested in taking people and yeah. inviting them to go, not only in, in his heart, but in the hearts of folks that he was dealing with. And as I'm, you know, I read the Gospels all the time. I'm sort of just enthralled with them. And you look at his engagement with the Syrophoenician woman, the rich young ruler, the, the Roman centurion. Like there is this, there, he is constantly getting down to the bedrock. Mm-hmm. And so what, what we've proposed is that our humanity, our who we are, is determined primarily by the ideas and desires that sit on the bedrock, mm-hmm. but that we don't normally function there. Yeah. And in some cases, we aren't conscious of it. We tend to live up towards the surface of our hearts. And so that that level of soil way mm-hmm. down there mm-hmm. is where we're trying to get to and, and is where legitimate character formation and transformation actually happens. Mm-hmm. But to your point, if we don't want to go there. Mm-hmm. And if we refuse to go there, then we're going to continue to live sort of above the surface. But I have become more and more struck by just how intentional Jesus is mm-hmm. at inviting people down to the bedrock of their hearts and uncovering these hidden ideas and desires that, that form us. You know, we've compared it to the stereogram, right? The 3D image thing from the 90s that we've talked about. It takes a, it takes some practice, right? And your oh. heart and your journey... It oh, takes a while to kind gosh. of figure out what are we talking about? Like I don't mm-hmm. I don't remember the word ideas in the Bible. What's yeah. what is what's going on here? Mm-hmm. And yet that seems to be the deeper realm of who we actually are, that that bedrock layer. Yeah, and I, I think again, like you said, that is a testament to how much Jesus loves us, is that yeah. he wants us to go into that nitty-gritty part, into those dark areas and help us shine the light in these corners of our hearts that we've just ignored or don't want to go into. But he's like, no, 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 let me, let me come in there with you. And I'm going to show you that it's not so scary, that it's not something that you need to ignore, that you need to push away. I'm going to show you how to bring light and flood light into this. And it's going to make you who I intended you to be all along. For the purpose of loving absolutely God and ourselves and others mm-hmm. more deeply and more yep. fully as, as part of the kingdom. Absolutely. So that was a fun 13 episodes. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of discussion in there and of course Kyle and I are part of a greenhouse and so we were already done with season one but the discussions that we've had <laughs> around oh, that season oh. were really very rich yeah uh you know very beautiful but mm-hmm. to your point you know at times very challenging mm-hmm. because there is this process that once we recognize that maybe we are governed by things we don't normally pay attention to yep. uh, there's a bit of a waking up that has to happen in order to really go mine those things. Mm-hmm. And that that's, you know, it's a long-term, it's a long-term process. So season one sets up the problem. Mm-hmm. We're not really making deep disciples. The solution is the transformation of these hidden ideas, which requires us to have the courage and the intention of exploring those ideas, God's ideas and our ideas to see whether they match. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, why don't they match? Mm-hmm. Uh, we then barreled into season two, which goes from, I think, episode 14 to the 25, which is all about the discipleship dilemma. So we close mm-hmm. season one by saying, look, on top of the fact that there's the great omission, our current era faces three primary problems, subsequent challenges to our spiritual formation, the discipleship dilemma, the formation gap, the forgotten kingdom. Mm-hmm. 
And the, the premise behind the discipleship dilemma, and gosh, we've wrestled with this, you know, for a couple of years now, oh, yeah. is that our ability, our capacity to know God more deeply is somehow dependent on our ability to know ourselves more deeply. Yep. Which is just not a modern idea. We rarely run into this unless we're really broken. Yeah. And we're dealing with, you know, some sort of an addiction or some sort of pathological, very serious problem. Right. But for those of us that may not be in that set of circumstance, we're sort of left out in the cold here. So the dilemma is that, you know, theologians call it double knowledge. Uh, my knowledge of God is dependent on my knowledge of myself. Mm-hmm. And um, we live in an era that doesn't emphasize that knowledge of self. Matter of fact, in many cases, rejects it or finds it to be reprehensible. So now we find ourselves in, our, in a dilemma mm-hmm. because if I'm trying to grow to become more like Jesus and I'm not being trained or taught or coached on how to explore my own heart, right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get stunted. I'm going to be stuck. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And as you were talking, it was, I was thinking about, you know, especially right now in, our, in the culture and society that we're living in, where it, there's this, seems to be this huge push of being able to understand who you are. But it's a false identity of who you think you are. Mm-hmm. So everybody's worried about how do you identify or who are you really or what group do you belong to and all of this stuff. And it feels like there's a yearning, like people want, want this, but they're going about it in ways that are actually taking them away from who they really are. And when it's, when we push into this with Jesus and when we go towards him and and figure out, okay, God, who am I? What, 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 why do I struggle with this? Or why is this so difficult for me? Then that's when that really amazing transformation starts to happen. But if you're not willing and, and do you think that it's in, you know, in more conservative Christian circles, do you think it's, and you've, you've alluded to this before and you've come out and said it, do you think it's more of a, a concern of, well, it's just going to be the quote unquote navel gazing. Like I, if I start doing this, then it's just going to be all about me and I'm going to actually take my focus off of God and it's going to be all, I'm just more concerned with self or, or what do you think the real hesitation is for people to really dive into their own story and their own meat of why they do the things they do? Yeah, that's a good question. I think there's probably a few variables. One of which is we, we as the Christian church tend to perpetually swing the pendulum too far in the other direction. Mm-hmm. So we live in a time that deifies self. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's some of what you alluded to. Like we've started to worship we're not even worshiping self, frankly. We're wor- we're worshiping characteristics that we want to identify as yep. part of being a self, yep. a person. There you go. So, in response to that, the church, in my view, has said, "Well, we need to reject that notion entirely mm-hmm. and only focus on Jesus." Mm. And and even when you say that, you're like, "Well, of course we're supposed to focus sure. on Jesus." However, <laughs> uh, if we look back at church history, the the there is that there is that dependency knowledge of god is dependent on knowledge of ourselves mm-hmm. but not in a sense that we're trying to deify ourselves we right. we gain knowledge of self we gain insight into our own hearts into our stories into our ideas and desires for the purpose of loving mm-hmm. more better sacrificially 
and not to elevate ourselves to the position of a deity. Mm -hmm. And I think there's been a whipsaw uh, sort of reaction to where, you know, if we're sitting in church and we're trying to explore, why why is it that I can't emotionally connect with God? Let's just use that as an example. Mm -hmm. Why am I struggling to emotionally connect with God? Jesus is emotional. God is emotional. They express a a mind-bending array of emotions in Scripture. So why is it that I'm not emotionally, is it my personality? Is it, you know, what is, to, to, Ask that question in many churches is going to sound bizarre. Mm-hmm. And in many Christian communities, like, why, why are you even thinking about yourself? Yeah. You're not supposed to be thinking. Put your eyes on Jesus. Why are you thinking about yourself? God loves you. You love him. Enough. Yeah, what's the deal? Yeah. Yep. So we, we're not given permission, quite mm. frankly, to yeah. explore our own stories. And I think at least part of that is because there's this underlying fear that if we start talking about ourselves as individuals— we're going to cave to a culture that wants to deify the individual. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. But you know what's so funny is that the more that I dig into myself, the more I realize how not God I am. That's right. I mean, I start seeing how much I need Jesus, and which is so cool because I, but I completely understand what you're saying. There is that fear of, well, if we do that, then we're going to elevate ourselves to this position. And when I think, when people engage in this, you start to realize, oh my gosh, how much I need God, how much I need Jesus. This relationship, because uh, the more introspection I do, I'm realizing, oh man, I'm really there's there's a lot of yeah, dark we're, stuff. We're in talking here. about, you know, we've we've painted a picture based on the critical journey of the book. This is stage four. It's mm-hmm. the journey inward. Yep. And at some point, we leave that. Like we're I, we're not talking about a you know lifelong oh, yeah. self introspection <laughs> right, yeah. because it can get. Uh, overdone. Mm-hmm. However, we live in a culture that does virtually none of it. Yeah. So I'm not sure the concern is overdoing it. I think the concern should be we need to start it. Mm-hmm. We need to start the process. Here, I was thinking about this morning. Uh, I grew up in a couple different denominations, but one of them was highly liturgical. So mm-hmm. it followed a very specific, every week uh, it was a hallmark of some biblical event. The scriptures were assigned, you know, if you're, if you're part of a church that's highly mm-hmm. liturgical, it follows a calendar. Now, now, think about that for a second. That means that every week we are recognizing or celebrating some sort of piece of the biblical story mm-hmm. every year. You know, you have um, Pentecost. You certainly have you have the conception of Jesus. You have the birth mm-hmm. of Jesus. Uh, you have, if, if you have a Jewish history, you have different festivals, Passover, you know, that are all hallmarks, remembrances of pieces of the story. Mm-hmm. So we grow up constantly remi- in cycles, reminding ourselves of pieces of the divine narrative, but somehow think that looking at the pieces of our own narrative is wrong. Mm, okay. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. I was reading a book. Um, I am reading a book that talks about the importance of story in discipleship and and they actually kind of paint the picture of this exercise where we actually take a whiteboard and you take post-it notes and you organize key moments of your story in a certain way to kind of get the picture of what God is doing in your life Mm. and to be able to recognize those positive moments and those negative moments that have formed us Mm -hmm. for the purpose of celebrating all of it but also recognizing gosh are there some moments in my life that I'm still I need to heal. Yeah. And I need to kind of go back there to be able to do that. It, it, it's strange to me that we we consider that as a matter of course in the Christian rituals, 
But when it comes to exploring those things in our own hearts, all of a sudden we're told we're it's implied that it's selfish mm-hmm. or that it's wrong or that yeah. it's it's too self-absorbed. So I think when we talk about the discipleship dilemma, what we're trying to do here is make the proposal that if we're going to become deep disciples, if we're going to enter into the stages four, five, and six, if we're going to have those that character formation that really takes us from um, a, a solid Christian man or woman into somebody who radically looks a lot like Jesus and might be confused for you know a first century Christian because mm-hmm. our love is so dramatically different. That that journey that 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 second half of the journey requires requires us to explore not only the rhythms and the celebrations and the hallmarks of the biblical narrative, mm-hmm. but those in ourself, mm-hmm. that double knowledge. Mm-hmm. And here at Soil and Roots, we're, we're basically trying to restore that. And again, as best as I can tell through church history, that was a fairly regular assumption. Mm-hmm. That was just part of the deal that's been lost in modernity. And we're saying, hey, if we feel stuck, if we feel disconnected, if we, if we wonder if there's more to the Christian life than what we're experiencing, there's a good shot. There's a good chance that's because we have not experienced the freedom to go into our own hearts to kind of dig around what's actually going on there. Mm-hmm. And I, and God is constantly inviting us to do just that for some period of time. It, and it might be measured in weeks. It very well could be measured in years. I don't think there's a right or wrong. Mm-mm. Understanding that the purpose is to have that exploration and then move in an outward direction to where um, our love of people and of God and our ability to rule creation and culture is based on a, you know, on a very servant minded, um, platform. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of us get impatient, you know, like we want the problem to be solved or we want to get through that Valley or through that wall (laughs) a lot quicker. Right. Right. I want to get it done with it yesterday. So yeah, but sometimes it just, and, and again, allowing grace and allowing, understanding when either yourself or somebody else is still really struggling. Like you shared that story, um, with, uh, you and Jessica having the, um, the miscarriage and how, you know, people are just like, you just need to get over it. Right. When I heard that, when I heard you say that, even right now, I'm getting a little emotional about that. Cause it's just, I can't believe that somebody would, I mean, obviously they're not thinking <laughs> clearly and they're not, they're not thinking about you, but at the same time, it's just, my goodness, I, I where is the grace and where's the understanding and where's the compassion? I mean, that that's what we should be known for is when you're, when you're going into becoming a deep disciple, it's all about the love of Jesus that you show to others and to be able to walk, even if you are thinking, Oh, you know what, man, it's been a while. They need to be getting over this. Well, but they're not. And to have compassion and to have understanding that, they're just, maybe Jesus has taken them through this for a longer, he's taken them for a longer reason for, a, there's a purpose for that. Yeah. So, yeah, I just, I, I think there, there's, there's a lot There is a to, tendency to kind of get over stuff. Mm-hmm, yeah. But, and and the, the, the concerns, of course, that we wallow in, in suffering, which, well, you know, but there's a balance and yeah. we need to be willing to recognize that there are some experiences that are so deep and profoundly difficult that they may not be fully resolved in a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And have some patience and, you know, awareness that that might be the case and to walk with folks during 
during those harder seasons. So. Absolutely. All right, so that's the discipleship dilemma. Mm-hmm. Uh, the dilemma is, do we really have the freedom and the permission to explore our own hearts and mm-hmm. stories as we journey for our hearts to become more like the heart of Jesus? Now, the second primary problem is the fact that, well, do we actually have places where we can do this sort of work? Right. And that's the formation gap. And the premise of season three is that in every other type of human formative experience, the five key elements, which we have, you know, beaten to a pulp here, right. exist. It doesn't matter how you want to be formed into what uh, a corporate executive, a gymnast, a military a soldier. The five elements are assumed and persistent and uh, systematic mm-hmm. in almost every other human human formative experience we can imagine, except <laughs> except the Christian walk. Yeah. Huh. Uh, and we tend to have more formative experiences when we're kids and teenagers. Youth mm-hmm. groups tends to be much more formative than for adults. And then you turn 18 or 21 or you get married or you graduate or you start a job and all of a sudden the formative elements kind of evaporate. Do you think that the unspoken or unconscious thought there is that if you've grown up in the church that by the time you're an adult, you should know? Yeah. You should just know what to do. Is that, I, I mean. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, the, the assumption is that you got to gotta graduate at some point. Right. Yeah. I, but at the same time, it's just, I, I mean. I, I don't think adult Christian behavior would reflect that. No. Reality. And yeah. and the, the most formative times that I've had in my life has been as an adult. Right. So it's just, I don't know. When you were talking about that, I was thinking, I wonder if that maybe, if that's part of it, that they're just thinking, well. You've, you've been around church for almost 20 years, so you should know what to do now. Go out into the world and be a disciple. Right. Okay. If, but if spiritual formation, first of all, we're always being spiritual, spiritually formed every day. Oh, absolutely. Every day we're being spiritually formed, either bending towards darkness or bending towards light. Mm-hmm. And every relationship is formative. Uh, if we accept that as reality and, and spiritual formation is a lifelong journey, then the question is, why do we give up so many, you know, if time, uh, habit, community, intimacy, and instruction are five elements, why do those kind of go out the window the minute that we turn into an adult Yeah. Uh, for most people? And that the modern church, for the most part, uh, might want to change that, but it has struggled to do so, mm-hmm. to make a case for that. Uh, why is that sort of the modern experience? It's... Uh, it's a fascinating, I mean, we spent a lot of episodes. I think that yeah. was 52 through, or sorry, 25, episode 25 through 50 something? I think so, yeah. 59 maybe? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We spent a lot of time on the formation gap mm-hmm. because um, I think it's an, ex- an incredibly important problem that has to be solved because this journey into deep discipleship, at least we've concluded here, requires uh, a committed, long-term, small community. Mm-hmm. And this is not the experience for many people, at yeah. least in this part of the world. Well, and again, you know, there's all kinds of stories as to, you know, why that is, you know, you might've had a really bad experience with a small group or you've tried several and it just wasn't, didn't work or, you know, and you just kind of gave up and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm not going to find it. It's just not going to happen. And yeah, that's part of the thing that we're trying to do is encourage people to and again, it, it requires trust. It requires faith. It requires... It requires desire. 
Yeah. Like well, we, yeah. we need to, like discipleship is not an osmosis process. No. We have to intend to be discipled. Mm-hmm. You know, I mentioned the Hillsong yeah. uh, documentary mm-hmm. that I watched in Hulu. Hard to watch. Oh, I bet. I mean, yeah. it was from a, um, not not a Christian perspective. I mean, it was a, it's a Hulu produced show. How, so now, do you, I'm sorry, do you know, was, did you get the feeling that the reason they did it was to sort of cast dispersions on the Christian faith and on mega churches? Or were they just trying to do it in a more innocuous kind of, hey, we're just presenting this because it was something that was so huge. There was a political agenda for sure. Yeah. Uh, And the the sort of normal elements we expect from Hollywood today were certainly in there. However, um, the way that they treated the story of the New York... So let me me back up. Hillsong is a massive mega church. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's based in Australia. It's been around for a few decades uh, with campuses all over the world, and they had a huge campus in New York City, uh, and the pastor there was a guy named Carl Lentz. So if you've ever sung Hillsong music, that's a spinoff of the Hillsong Church. Became scandal-ridden in 2018, and today is a, you know, is a fraction of its former self and still is mired in some, some difficulties. Mm-hmm. And it came out that in the leadership, there were all sorts of horrible issues going on, and it's, it's caused the church to, to fall apart. So with that background, the way that they treated Lentz, mm-hmm. the New York pastor, um, was very different from a documentary standpoint than the way they treated uh, the Houstons, who are the, the founding pastors over in Australia. Mm. And Lentz's approach, so he had an affair um, and got kicked out of the church. And they, they offered him a tremendous amount of screen time, which he took, mm-hmm. after, even after this was all over. And I thought that he he represented a repentant heart mm. and a man who acknowledges he's searching, trying to figure out his own story, sure. trying to diagnose what happened mm-hmm. really fairly and in a way that I think did justice to to the Christian faith. Now, oh, the way great. they treated other things, not so much. Yeah. And the way they treated the, you know, the Houstons, that's a different scenario. But I thought the, the the things that Carl Lentz has said post all this falling apart, mm-hmm. and he's put his family back together, his marriage is back together. Oh, that's great. Um, you know, he is, uh, it seems, at least based on his comments, like he is truly trying to live out the gospel of reconciliation yeah. post a, a massive scandal that shook the, you know, the evangelical world. So, I mean, going along with the formation gap, did he talk about what led up to that? Did he talk about how, I mean, this guy who was supposedly so in tune with, with Jesus and doing all of these amazing things. Did he talk about what let, what things Mm -hmm. kind of led to the downfall and how he was? Yeah. I mean, it's money and power and the, the, he would, I think, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he would claim the founding pastors were sort of very growth driven, very demanding, Mm -hmm. somewhat legalistic. Um, and Lentz's own story sort of lent itself to being taken into that sort of environment. And what is fascinating back to the formation gap is that as I watched this and they interviewed a lot of congregants from both Australia and New York. Mm -hmm. And you realize after a while that their, their idea of what church is, Mm. is radically different than what we are claiming community is here. Yeah. It's the show. Mm -hmm. It's the sermon. It's following the guy, whoever it is. Right. It's, it's, it's pressuring that person or persons to be a certain sort of leader to be able to satisfy sort of the longings in our heart. So, you know, part of the reason that the church fell apart and some people became atheists and others just sort of formed their own versions of Christianity 
uh, is because they weren't actually grounded yeah. in the idea of, of discipleship. Mm. So I, yeah. I I think Hillsong could certainly be um, recognized as a mega church who was not at all interested in individual spiritual formation. They're, they were interested in developing and delivering a product yeah. uh, and an experience mm-hmm. and the sort of celebrity pastor deal that's become so overdone, I think. Right. Uh, and in the end, you left. The, so when the church fell apart, people fell apart. Yeah. Where had they been part of formative communities where stuff is going to happen too? Yeah. They're not. They weren't grounded. Yeah. They're grounded in this sort of Western idea of what a megachurch is supposed to be, which is very event-driven, mm-hmm. versus grounded in Christ in the context of the journey of becoming more like Him. Yeah. There was there was no discussion at all from any of the congregants that said, hey, you know, I'm becoming more like Jesus, and it, whether I go here or somewhere else, that, that journey is unabated. Right. It's hard. We've suffered. It's a bummer, but we're extending forgiveness, and we're going to love through it. That that wasn't really the message, yeah. and it was clear that that wasn't the message of the church, Yeah, to be honest. Well, yeah. I mean, isn't that usually the way? Like if whether it's somebody who is has a leadership position or – uh, a position of power in a church or even in a small group. I mean, if they do something that is wayward, I mean, usually they're cast out. Yeah. They're ignored. They're a pariah. And no, okay, well, they're so that again is, I think, adds to this formation gap is we're all going to make mistakes. I mean, it's not, I'm not trying to downplay anything and like, oh, well, everybody's going to do it. So do go ahead and mess up. No, but for crying out loud, when we do mess up, and sometimes if we mess up uh, in a huge, I mean, I mean, devastating way, where's our where are our people? Where are the where's our support group that's going to be like, look, man, yeah, okay, yeah, this is bad, but you know what? We're we're banding around you. It, you imagine if AA kicked out everybody that had a oh, relapse? Well, for Christ, it wouldn't exist. <laughs> it wouldn't I mean, exist, right. right? So it's just, I think that that's another. I think that adds to the formation gap, this idea of how we treat people who have fallen, how we treat people who have gone wayward. And it's, I think that again, contributes to this idea of what do you do? How are we supposed to treat people that, that do this or that fall or that struggle? I mean, that's a fair concern. I'm saying even beyond that, there didn't seem to be any expectation that becoming more like Jesus was the point. Yeah. The, the yeah. expectation was hear a good sermon, have a worshipful experience, however right. that gets defined, and serve people, but not character formation in the context of being vulnerable mm-hmm. with people that you trust. Yeah. Instead, when the trust was broken with the leadership, who, you know, how are you going to know what those guys are like anyway? Right, if you go exactly. to a church of 10,000 people. Yeah, you're not hanging out with them every day. You don't know. Yeah. You just know whatever the persona is when they get up on stage. Mm-hmm. So then their trust gets broken with what is a mythological figure basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then their trust is broken with God mm-hmm. because they, they stick that person in place of God. Yeah. Uh, and then they're left with nothing instead of being part of much smaller communities where vulnerability, transparency, these ideas can be explored. And yes, if somebody messes up, they mess up. Let's figure out how to restore them and bring them uh, back into the, into the group. So our solution at Soil and Roots, as we've explored the first year, basically was, hey, we, we need to restore 
that type of community and we're going to call them greenhouses. Mm -hmm. So four to 12 people meeting very consistently, doing certain rhythms, practicing together how to love well and how to become more like Jesus. And that, of course, has become the mission of the, uh, has become the mission of Soil and Roots to restore New Testament discipleship through forming and supporting these much smaller, intimate, uh, trusted groups of people who, who have a legitimate desire to move into stages four, five, and six of the spiritual journey. Mm-hmm. That led us to this season. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Which was your absolute favorite. Um, well, there's a reason why I put it last. The, the, the yeah. Of the three primary problems, it's listed first because I think it's the biggest problem. Right. Uh, but I've, I chose to treat it last before we move on to some other things because... Uh, of the three, this is actually the most confusing and contentious in mm-hmm. my view. So I, I here's my experience. When I talk about the discipleship, uh, when I talk about the great omission, mm-hmm. the fact that discipleship really isn't happening to the degree that it should, and, and we're not making deep disciples. I have, I've, I've yet to encounter a church leader or frankly, a person who's even sympathetic to Christianity who disagrees. Mm-hmm. So I've never met a pastor who says, you know, we are making so many daggone disciples. I don't know what to do. Right. I've never heard that. Right. Uh, I've never, I've never seen a congregation that has so many people that act like Jesus that it's, it's confusing. Right. Like that's, this never happened. <laughs> right. So there's almost universal agreement that Dallas Willard was correct when he said in the West, it's almost entirely non-discipleship Christianity despite how much we talk about it being otherwise. Okay, so we have consensus there. Mm-hmm. The discipleship dilemma. This mm-hmm. whole idea of exploring our own story, I don't really get pushed back in terms of that being wrong. It's just weird. Right. Like, it's just strange because it feels so unusual in mm-hmm. many cases. Um, we're typically interested in people's story if we're trying to evangelize them. Right. Or if they're really broken and addicted to something. If we're not in one of those two bookends our story has very little part to play in our Christian journey. And so I don't find the folks that I interact with to say, Oh no, that's not right. It's more like, Oh, that's just strange. It feels a little bit selfish. It feels a little bit weird. Like, is that really a Christian thing to do is to look Mm -hmm. at our own stories. So by and large, there's consensus, but some apprehension. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sure. You get to the formation gap. Uh, Once you kind of, you compare, Christian spiritual formation, any other type of formation, people are like, oh, oh okay. Yeah, that it. makes sense. They yeah. may not want to do it. Right. And most people are but like, they can wrap their heads around they, it. They get like, oh, you know what? You probably have a point. We yep. probably do need to have these five elements in place because right. when you talk about any other formative experience, they're all there. Right. So I have not had a lot of pushback in terms of the, let's call it the theory of the formation gap. Mm-hmm. There certainly is pushback of, I don't have the time. Sure. I don't really want to tell my story. I don't really want to be in a trusted, like, okay, that's fine. But there's a recognition that the five elements are actually necessary in order to grow, to become more like Jesus. Sure. You get to the kingdom. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's a whole other ball of wax. And there's a tremendous amount of disagreement. Mm -hmm. I think this is the trickiest of the three primary problems. Yeah, yeah, I would absolutely agree with you. So here's the the premise. Let me just lay it out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You can beat it up. Yep. Hit us again. Okay. So if the kingdom is the primary theme of the New Testament. Mm -hmm. And if the gospel of the kingdom is the good news that we should be proclaiming, Mm -hmm. not just the gospel of salvation, but the gospel of the kingdom, if Jesus, it was announced of him and by him that he was the inception of the kingdom, Mm -hmm. 
and if he's instructed us to pray for it first in mm-hmm. the Lord's Prayer, and if in the Olive or the uh, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew six thirty three, he says, "Seek this first, mm-hmm. and tells a lot of parables about how valuable and how we're supposed to give everything up for the kingdom, and yet we don't really know what it is, right? Yeah. So the uh, we talk as Christians, we talk about the gospel, but I think. I'd be curious your experience. I've probably heard, I mean, it's in the thousands of sermons in my life by this point. I mean, in the thousands, Mm -hmm. easily. Sure. I have heard the gospel of salvation, the forgiveness of my sins, probably a few thousand times. Oh, yeah. I have heard the gospel of the kingdom, the announcement that God's reign through God's people over God's place, probably less than five times. Yeah. Maybe five. Yeah. And probably less than that for me. So this, I think we're in a real quandary here. If we don't understand what the gospel actually is, the gospel of the kingdom, if we don't know what the kingdom is, if we don't know what the kingdom is doing right now, we are shooting ourselves in the foot, Mm -hmm. especially when Jesus says, this is what you should be praying for first, and this is what you should be centering your life around. And the reason that I say this is when I go around and ask people, what is the kingdom? Mm -hmm. Uh, Oh, I'm sure I, I probably get, get 25 or 30 different answers. Yep. So yep. What, what's your experience been with how often you've heard it preached and what people in your world think about it? Yeah. I, most of them. And again, I, it's a very foreign concept. Or if you say the kingdom, most people will think of heaven. It's, Oh, that's heaven. Oh, that's interesting. So the, yeah. And, and I'm still, honestly, I'm still wrapping my head around. It's like, What's a really good analogy? I want to have a really this good analogy. This better not be a movie this. reference. No. <laughs> if you're going to bring up no. <laughs> oh, Sneakers, what was the other movie you brought up? Sneakers. What was the one you mentioned earlier? Swingers. Swingers. Not sneakers. Whatever. That's a great movie, by the way. Robert Redford, that was a fantastic movie. Uh, but no, so it's like, it's, it's like I've found this house and I'm opening the door and the house has always been there and there's all these rooms in here that I'm going to, that I didn't even know were there, but hold all of these amazing truths and all of these amazing things. And I'm, I'm just kind of overwhelmed with, uh, first of all, I didn't even know this house was here. And now I can go in and explore all this amazing stuff. To me, that's the idea of the kingdom. This idea that, that Jesus came to inaugurate himself as the King of the universe. Mm-hmm. The, I, I, that was, I had never heard that ever. The cosmic nature of the kingdom. Right. No, that was. So he was your savior. Yes. He came and died for my sins. But you didn't have an idea of him as king. No. I mean, I knew he was the king of kings. I knew that he's, right, all of that. the world every year. Right. But not, not to that degree. And I just, it's, it's like you're opening up these new doors. It's like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. We pray the Lord's prayer. You might pray the Lord's prayer every week. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right. And and say, oh, and not think about what the words mean. Right. What is that? I've never thought about that before. I had never thought about that. I know the Lord's prayer backwards and forwards, but Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Never marinated on that. Never right. thought, what, what does that mean? And yet, it, it's, it's all it's through the, scripture. It's the gospel. Right. It's the gospel. It's the point. It's the whole ball of wax. Yeah. And so somehow. I, this, I'm going to be fascinated as Soil and Roots continues along and we get integrated with more and more people, how mm-hmm. this sort of comes up. I, I have made it a habit. 
when I sit down with anybody who is professing faith in Christ, I will typically say, oh, you know, tell me about the kingdom. See, that's amazing. I don't do that. I need to start doing you that. You should. Yes. Yeah, it's fascinating. And then uh, as we try to, I'll say something to the nature of, are you aware that typically in scripture, when you see the word gospel, it's it's actually paired with of the kingdom. And, you know, the book of Acts opens with the proclamation of the kingdom and it closes with Paul proclaiming the things of the kingdom in Rome, that it, this is like the central motif of all of the New Testament. This is actually the full message. Uh, there's typically sort of confusion, and I mean, I don't, I don't think we're alone in our our ignorance of it. No, we're, we're, but I think if we don't figure this out, oh, we are we are not going. We're going to struggle to become deep disciples, and it's it's what I alluded to last time. Our definition of the kingdom, what we assume about the mm-hmm. definition of the kingdom, mm-hmm. has a profound impact on our spiritual formation. Oh. Because it's going to dramatically impact why we think we're here. Mm-hmm. And if we, and I don't think there's, and to be honest, we talked about splitters and joiners. Um, part of the reason why I wanted to tackle the end times piece sort of upfront in the season, and there's lots of different reasons why we have different views of the kingdom, but the end times perspectives, what I'm trying to point out is whether we're a splitter or a joiner, they, they're going to end up with different definitions of what the kingdom is now. Everybody mm-hmm. agrees on what it is, you know, in eternity. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't say that. Most people agree on what it is in eternity. Right. But in terms of the manifestation of the kingdom now, mm-hmm. those two groups end up in almost polar opposite places in terms of what the kingdom actually is. Mm-hmm. The joiner is going to say uh, the curse of sin impacted all four relationships, our relationship with God, our relationship with ourselves, with others, and with creation. All four were tainted and broken by sin. Mm-hmm. Jesus is curative across all four relationships. So he has come to restore our relationship with God and others and ourselves and creation and culture. Right, And so... That kingdom advancement, the kingdom was incepted with Jesus, and the church is the primary means by which that advancement happens over time. The splitter is going to say different things, but they're going to split the kingdom, right? Mm -hmm. We talked about this last episode. Mm -hmm. So they're primarily going to say the work of the church is evangelism, Mm -hmm. and that the cosmic redemption, the cosmic restoration of creation, we're back to our creation picture, Mm -hmm. of the creation and culture, uh, the seven mountains, that really doesn't become effective permanently or long-term until after the second coming. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those are two radically different interpretations of the kingdom. And they're going to lead to very different assumptions of what we're supposed to do in it. Mm -hmm. And I think we got to work that out to be, to be perfectly blunt. um, If, if we're supposed to be proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom Mm -hmm. and we're not in consensus on what it is right now, um, we're, we're delivering a very confusing message to mm-hmm. Christians and non-Christians alike. And do you think that maybe that's why in the United States we find the church and things that are in the way that they are right now? I think it has a lot to do with it. Um, I think we should, if we accept that the gospel of the kingdom is the message that mm-hmm. Jesus is delivering and that the epistles and the apostles are delivering, and we're not clear on what it is, we should not then wonder why other people are as confused and not quite sure why we're here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's, I think this is a big deal mm-hmm. of the, th- of the three problems. I think this is the worst in terms of its implications. 
and I think it's the hardest to resolve. Our end times views should actually flow from our understanding of the kingdom and not the other way around. Mm-hmm. I think in our current culture, our, our assumptions about the kingdom tend to be built on our, our views of what the church age is. Mm-hmm. I think we should instead look at what Jesus said and how he functioned about the kingdom and our end times views should, uh, should flow from that. I think we have it backwards. Mm. I, we keep going back to this and we mentioned it earlier, but this courageous, oh wow, courageous curiosity. I think we need to embrace that idea and that we are lifelong students, we're lifelong learners, and God is constantly revealing things to us and we need to be willing to learn and grow with each other as we go forward and as we progress towards becoming disciples of Jesus. I think a lot of people, and I'm speaking from from my own experience from my background and the the people that I have been formed by, there was not a lot of that. And then when you hit a wall and you're questioning things and you're trying to figure out what is going on, why is my heart so broken? Why am I, why do I feel so distant from God? Why do I feel this? Why do I feel that? And you, you don't understand how to dig into that. Then you can get very disenfranchised. You can get very disillusioned, but when you allow Jesus into that space and when you go, when you are constantly striving toward him and you're allowing people around you to speak life into you and they're, and we're, you know, you're drenched in the word, you're, you're binging the Bible, you're choosing to walk this path with other believers that are courageously curious as well. Then that's that's when you find that uh, when you mentioned the that everlasting peace or that that um, the abundant life, the abundant life, participating right. with the divine nature. Exactly, yeah. all of this stuff which seems so elusive. I can tell you right now, sitting here, it is not. I'm experiencing it, even in the midst of a lot of turmoil and a lot of things and a lot of challenges and struggles that five years ago would have broken me. Mm. But now it's God has prepared me to come to this, and I feel closer to Him than ever. But at the same time, like things around me are kind of bonkers and they're crazy and they're spir- it seems like they're spiraling out of control, but it's all because of your man bun. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's the problem. Yeah. Yep. I, I did that, not feel that before that, that settledness, right. Uh, that sense of peace, mm-hmm. which is deeper than you've oh, had. Oh my gosh. Is it not at least in part related to the beginning of the resolution of the three primary problems? Oh, absolutely. So you are exploring discipleship as the transformation of hidden ideas, and you've mm-hmm. done the hard work of exploring some of those ideas. Mm-hmm. Your ideas about God, your ideas about Kyle, your ideas about other people, about creation. Yep. You have granted yourself permission to look into your own story, and that has brought you closer to God. Mm-hmm. You've joined a greenhouse, mm-hmm. so you're now having a depth of fellowship and community and conversation that has been hard to find. Well, and I can't tell you how many times I've been struggling with something throughout the week and I come to the greenhouse and it's been, and again, it doesn't all magically go away, but at the same time, I am filled with a sense of hope and encouragement and peace. And it's not because somebody said exactly what I needed to hear. It was just about being in that group of people who are, What's that? Being with them. Yes. Yeah. Withness, like you've said, right. mm-hmm. that withness and just experiencing other 
believers that are struggling and that are rejoicing and all of this. It's just when I leave, every time when we leave, when Michelle and I leave, it's just, it's, it's a shot in the arm. It's a breath of fresh air. It's a bucket filler and not in a frivolous, um, temporary kind of way. It's just, Discipleship. Ah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Spiritual yep. formation. And I, I think what we're trying to communicate to you, the audience, is that this process of spiritual journeying together is best done in a group mm-hmm. that over time develops deep relationships and is willing to re- at least re- at least wrestle. Maybe yes. not come to consensus. Yes. Maybe not agree. Because in our greenhouse, it's yeah. certainly not universal no. agreement. Mm-mm. But explore the idea of our stories being impactful. Explore yes. the idea of smaller, legitimate, genuine community. Mm-hmm. And explore what the gospel of the kingdom really is as we as we grapple with those hidden ideas in our hearts. It actually does mm-hmm. form us. Mm. We, I think we can all say we actually are journeying to become more like Jesus in that context. Oh. And uh, the, there's some hard times. You know, we have folks that go through some difficult seasons for all mm-hmm. sorts of different reasons. Yep. At the same time, there's laughter and joyfulness, and there's inside jokes, yep. and you know, there's a real there's a real camaraderie, which I think is central to a witness. Mm-hmm. Uh, how we love each other. I I mean, I can represent Jesus so much better now than I could before we started doing soil and root stuff. I mean, I, I'm so much more confident in being able to show Jesus in the way that he wants me to not like there's some sort of formula or there has to be some sort of a script or a whatever that I have to follow in order to represent him. I'm to the point where I'm confident in my relationship with him that I can just kind of bebop and scat and go, okay, yeah, I'm going to walk into this situation. And I know that Jesus has it. He's going to, the Holy Spirit's going to guide me. Let's do this. Let's do it. And there's just such a free, a freeing excitement there about showing that. And, and, and he, that's the amazing thing about it is that he does that with everybody. We all have these different skills and gifts that he's blessed us with. You can reach people that I can't. So hopefully this has been helpful for everybody. Again, every 10 or 15 episodes, we try to step back and just say, hey, let's rewind. Let's remind ourselves why we're here. And so episode 72, despite the weird name, is a great summation. Even if you have, you know, we always encourage everybody to start at the beginning with episode one. But if you have a friend that says, hey, I just want to understand soil and roots in these greenhouses, what's going on. Episode 72 is not a bad place if you want to give them a, a wildly high level overview of what we've tackled so far we'll continue to have bonus episodes as we move forward and as we add new ideas and new reflections on what it means to become a deep disciple so thanks for being a part of the soil and roots community if you have any questions you can check out the website at soilandroots.org lots of information there all of the podcast episodes all the blog episodes are there lots of information on greenhouses and ways that you can connect with us we'd love of course to hear from you Mm -hmm. so sign up for our email list we send an email about once a week Uh, reflections on spiritual formation, the three primary problems, how we journey together in a deep discipleship. We'd love for you to join that. You can do that. And actually right now, uh, we have a free ebook uh, 
uh, offer. Yeah. <laughs> is it an offer if it's free? Yeah. Uh, it's anyway, an um, if you give us your email address, we'll immediately turn around and send you. A, it's it's short. It's uh, 13 or 14 pages. And Kyle's story yeah. is part of that, that book. Yep. And you did a great job. Thank you. So Kyle will share as part of his testimony and his journey into deep discipleship. And uh, so if you... If you uh, go to the site, you can check that out. If you have any other questions, email us at fish at soilandroots.org, and we will see you next time as we continue The Forgotten Kingdom. <laughs>